Hey guys, I'm Lorena and thanks for checking out this message today. We're so glad that you're here and we want to connect with you and your family. So please text River Connect to 97000 and you can also um, visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and all the upcoming events we have. And lastly, if you want to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. Morning, everybody. If you got a Bible, let's grab those together and open them up to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. We'll pick up in verse 19 in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you, you can take out your smartphone. You can download a Bible app or the River Church app, and there's a Bible feature on there. I want to encourage each of you to be uh, seeing the Word of God for yourselves. If you're a guest, I want to welcome you. Glad uh, you're here with us today. Glad to gather together. For those of you watching online, I want to welcome you as well. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. Let's pick up there. Jesus is speaking. And the Lord Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus here is saying something that if we just pause for a moment, I think we all uh, cognitively in our minds, we recognize this to be true, that everything is temporal. That so much we see in the the world when it comes to tangible assets or things, the stuff of this world is um, destroyed by either rust, it eventually rusts out, or moths destroy it, or sometimes it's translated vermin, so mice will get to it. And if the natural elements don't destroy an item, Jesus is saying thieves will break in and they will steal that. The, The stuff of life is so temporary. And there are these jarring moments in life where you you realize that, Uh, whether you've had something stolen from you, or whether you uh, bought a car and it was your dream car, and then the the salt and rust and elements of where we live, 10 years later, you're like, man, I used to love that car, now I hate that car. Or you buy something or you get something when you first get married and you're like, we're going to have this forever. And then you find five years later, it's for sale for 50 cents on Facebook Marketplace. You're like, man, we really used to love that. But there's these moments where we realize the temporary nature of things. Uh, This week, of course, opening day and uh, big week, exciting week. I got my first deer this week. Uh, The problem is I used my van. And... uh, I lost. And it was in that moment where I thought, you stupid deer. And then it ran away and I didn't even get to eat it. Uh, But there was the front fender of my beautiful 10-year-old white minivan. Not awesome. And there's these moments where you realize, man, stuff is just going to break. Jesus is saying here, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Because what you treasure, rust is going to get to it. Bugs are going to get to it. And if those things don't get to it, someone's going to covet it and take it. The Bible has a lot to say about 
things and money. I want you to hold your spot in Matthew and go to the right to the book of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to read you a few passages of Scripture from the Old Testament. If you want to jot them down in your notes, you can. But Job chapter number 1, Job says this at the end of really going through a very traumatic time in his life. He says in verse 21, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. Job's saying, I came into the world with nothing, and regardless of how much I accumulate in this world, I can't take any of it with me. It's all temporary. Depending on when King Solomon wrote this, has kind of a a different punch. Uh, But in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I tend to think this is Solomon as an older man, Solomon says this, he says, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. Solomon says, you think about this, I have put all of my time and my effort and my wisdom into accumulating, building a kingdom, uh, building a house, he would build the temple, he would build the great kingdom of Israel as a as a superpower, essentially, in the ancient Near East, all of these different things. And Solomon just kind of pauses for a moment and realizes he can't take any of it with him, and he has to hand it to someone, and he says, who knows whether he will be wise or a fool? I mean, how many folks have we seen in our lifetimes who, who inherit money from an aunt or an uncle or a mom or a dad and they have no idea how to do it, and they just burn through that inheritance that took a lifetime for a person to accumulate. And you realize in that time the temporal nature of things, of money, that you and I brought nothing into the world, and the reality is we'll take nothing out of it with us. First Timothy chapter 6 Paul repeats this idea in verse number 7. He says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich. Now, the scripture does not condemn being rich. If you have money, great. God bless you. So the scripture does not condemn someone for being rich. It does not condemn someone for having resources. But I want you to see what the Bible warns of here in verse 9. Paul says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. What's a snare? A snare is a trap. Into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Sometimes this is misquoted as money, but that's not what the Bible says. It says, for the love of money 
is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, many sorrows. So Paul has to warn this young pastor in this letter by saying, listen, you brought nothing into the world, you're going to leave with nothing. But I need to warn you, those who have this desire to be rich, they fall into a trap. And when, what ends up happening is they are pierced through by this love with all kinds of sorrows. Money and greed promises joy. It promises satisfaction. It promises privileges. It, it promises excitement. It promises thrill. But if that is the pursuit and we would take Jesus' word from Matthew 6, if that is the treasure of someone's heart, beware, it's a snare that you are being, entang- you're being tangled up in and you will be pierced through with many sorrows. How many people have stolen just because of this craving to be rich? How many people have abused employees just with the craving to be rich? How many people have abandoned their children or marriages just because of the craving to be rich? Greed. Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Again, in Matthew chapter 6, you can stay in 1 Timothy 6 as well. But Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth because it will be corrupted. It will be eaten away by a moth. It will be eaten away by mice. And if any of those things don't get to it, the natural elements, someone will take it from you. And yet so many people sitting in this room or watching online spend their lives pursuing earthly treasures. As if somehow you or I will be the exemption to the rule, we brought nothing into the world, we'll take nothing out of it. Job, again, in a moment of real Spiritual clarity says, naked I came into the world, and naked I will I'll go. Meaning, I brought nothing, and by nothing I mean not even a speck of clothing into the world, and that's how I'll leave. So Jesus warns there against the pursuit, the perpetual pursuit of earthly treasures. I'm going to have to hold your spot in a couple places here. Sorry. Go to the left to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. I remember being in college, being a young man and being introduced to this particular passage we're going to read in a moment. To me, it's very sobering. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. 
So he's envisioning himself, the apostle, the preacher, he's envisioning himself as a contractor, as a builder here. He said, I came in and I laid the foundation. I cleared the land. I laid the foundation. The foundation meaning the gospel. The foundation being Christ. The foundation being turn from sin and idols and turn to Jesus as the one who died for sins and rose from the dead. And so that's the foundation Paul is saying, I laid. Well, then he had to leave. And so he said, someone else has taken up the project from there. So verse 10, Paul says, let each one take care how he builds upon it, the foundation of Christ. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifested. For the day, meaning the day of judgment, the day we stand before the Lord, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. The imagery here is that we will stand before God and our life's work will be laid before the Lord. And this is not judgment to be saved. These are people that know Christ. These are people who've repented of their sins and believed in Jesus. The full culmination of our life's work is laid before God, and then a torch is set to it. And Paul says, verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Meaning this person will be in heaven, but their whole life that they built on the foundation of Christ was essentially the... uh, uh, um, Compared to, verse number 12, wood, hay, and straw. It was pointless, now, you, you might remember the old Disney animated um, a short about the three little pigs. And it, it um, you know, was this, this big thing during the Depression, and it was kind of a, a song that encouraged people during uh, times that were very difficult economically. But, of course, you have the three little pigs, and they each choose to build something different. And, and of course, the, the, the last and wise pig is building, you know, the house out of bricks, and it sustains him when the big bad wolf shows up to his house. It also protects, you know, the brothers. And so some of you are singing the song for the rest of the sermon. Sorry about that. But seriously, who's afraid of the big bad wolf? The big bad wolf. The big, sorry, I had to do it. Okay. What the scripture is saying here is there's the foundation of Christ having Jesus, repenting of your sins, being given the gift of eternal life. What are you doing with that? And Paul is saying there are so many people that build a wood, hay, and stubble or wood, hay, and straw life that is pointless and meaningless. We have to take what Paul is saying here, what the Lord Jesus has taught, and say, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. And so many of us spend every waking moment, and if not every waking moment, so many of our waking moments pursuing the next thing, the next car, the next house, the next toy, the next vacation, the next level of our investment portfolio, the next this. And we reach there and we go, oh, I don't know if this is enough. Or we reach something to go, oh, I think this is it for us. And then we go, yeah, but you know, this house is nice, but it needs a whole new everything. And we spend our time and energy and effort 
not keeping 1 Corinthians 3 in mind. There will be a day where it will all be lit on fire. What actually lasts? Go back to Matthew 6. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal. Here's the contrast. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Look at the complete opposite contrast here. Everything that is temporal, everything that is earthly is is destructible. It's corruptible. It can be stolen. It can be taken. But heavenly investments Moths can't get to them, rust can't get to them, mice are not going to chip away at them, and thieves cannot break in and steal them. Now here's the, kind of pun intended I suppose, here's the million dollar question. How do we do that? How do we lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven? Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, Paul warns Timothy about that craving, that love, that pursuit, that desire to be rich, and how it's destroyed so many people. Look at that same chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 17. The Bible says, as for the rich in this present age... So I want you to, to see that. Even wealth in, this, in the here and now is temporal. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, meaning proud, meaning look at what I've accomplished. Haughty, we could say entitled. Selfish, greedy. So much of it for our Western American mindset is, look at what I've built with my own two hands. If you work as hard as I did, you'll be able to build this too. And sorry, the Bible steamrolls that and calls it haughty, arrogant, proud. Beginning with the breath that is in our lungs at this moment, it is a gift from God. The mental capacity you have, the strength that you have, the intellect that you have, the family you were raised in, the education that you were given, the training, the apprenticeships, whatever it was, is all a gift from God. And so we are not boastful or haughty about gifts that really belong to the Lord in the first place. So verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. How many depressions, How many recessions, how many layoffs, how many business failures have to happen to us or around us for us to go, man, my hope is not set on the uncertainty of riches. I am not getting on the roller coaster ride of the stock market. Man, look at what I have. Oh my gosh, life is terrible. Okay, we're doing this. Okay, we're going to lose everything. This is crazy. We may not eat. 
And you watch people's emotions just up here and down here. And the Bible's saying, hey, stop setting your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but set it on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, to the rich in this present age, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, to be ready to share. Some folks in here, you're so strapped with debt because you've been trying to, the proverbial, keep up with the Joneses your entire life. You have no margin or space in your life to be generous to anybody. What does that prove? That proves that our treasures are here and now. And rust is going to get them. Moths are going to get them. Someone's going to steal them. And we'll stand before a holy God and our life that has been built on the foundation of Christ will be lit on fire and we'll realize we had constructed a house of wood, hay, and straw. Look at the passage, 1 Timothy six nineteen. So be rich in good works, do good, be generous, share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Now let's go back to Matthew 6. Jesus says, don't lay up treasures for yourself here. But we take what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 and we put it here and we're able to understand this passage a little more. And so I'll paraphrase it a little bit here. Jesus is saying, don't spend your time pursuing the treasures here, but use your treasures here to lay up treasure for yourself in heaven where, they, where those treasures can't be stolen, can't depreciate, rust can't get to it. It is a eternal treasure. It's an eternal investment. Now, I want you to see this in the context of the Sermon on the Mount here because it's so beautiful. Look at chapter 6 in verse number 4. This was about giving. So Matthew chapter 6 and verse 4, give so that your, your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will do what? He will reward you down just a few verses at the end of verse six, maybe the middle of verse six, and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The end of verse number 18, your father who sees in secret will reward you. There's a promised reward for how we live our lives in the here and now. There's a rich man who comes to Jesus in Matthew 19. And he wants to know, how do, how do I know for certain I'm going to heaven? How do I inherit eternal life? And he has a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus finally realizes, I say Jesus finally realizes, Jesus finally illuminates to this guy that this man's idol, his treasure, was his wealth. And so he says, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me, you'll have eternal life. He couldn't do it. 
He couldn't part with his wealth. And so the disciples began to kind of have this follow-up. And it's interesting because they were not wealthy men. They, they would have been on the lower end of the socioeconomic scale. And so Jesus says to them in Matthew 19, 29, Jesus says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Jesus is saying, you, you, you gave it all to me. You, you just, you sacrificed lands and you sacrificed careers and you, you sacrificed houses. Just know that there will be a hundredfold return on that investment and it will be a, an eternal reward and eternal life. Now look at Matthew 6, verse number 21. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Meaning, is your treasure temporal or is your treasure eternal? So many believers, let's start with Christians. So many Christians trade the eternal for the temporal. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. But the way we live, the things that we pursue, the way we spend our money, the way we invest looks exactly the same way as, if, as our friends who do not know the Lord. Rather than trading the temporary, the temporal, for the eternal. Martyred missionary a martyred missionary named Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. There's so many adults, so, so many men and women who are continuing to just pursue the temporal and it is just fleeting. Solomon who climbed to the very top, he had everything a person could ever dream of wanting. Debatably the richest man in the history of the world. There's only one historical figure or two that are even in the arena with Solomon. So Solomon, one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest person to ever live, writes, it's all fleeting, it's all a vapor. That's why he uses that word vanity. He means you're trying to grasp onto it and you can't hold it. And so we have men and women who are pursuing wealth and, and, and temporal treasure. And these are people who know Jesus. And our heart is there and we perpetuate that to the next generation. Look down at verse number 24, Matthew 6, 24. We'll get to this in just a moment. We'll look at what Jesus says here. He's kind of a punchline. You cannot serve God and money. Can't do it. As I'm walking through this passage, I think about our young adults here. Maybe you're a high school young man or young woman, or you're in college, you're in your 20s. 
My prayer is that each of you would grasp this. Knowing that life is but a vapor, you're here one moment and you're gone the next. And there are so many men and women who pursue temporal, earthly treasure at the expense of eternal treasure. And again, these are people who know the Lord. You didn't come into this life with anything and you won't leave with anything. That ought to make us live differently. So the question we come to here is, what is your treasure? The indicator that Jesus gives here if you want to know where your treasure is, is where your heart is. Now, we, we use heart as um, kind of a, a romantic thing. Hey, I, I, I love you with all of my heart. Or we would say, men, they really put their heart and soul into that. That would be like an effort thing. But when Jesus is speaking here, the, the heart meant the whole internal being of a person. Like their control center, if we can call it that. So how do you know where your heart is? Because you might be, as we all can be, uh, self-deceptive. We can deceive ourselves and say, no, all my treasure's in heaven. But I'm going to spend the next 30 years trying to grasp as many as treasures as I can here and now. So... Our heart can be found where our treasure is. Meaning, what do we worry about? What do we think about? Dream about? Plan for? What do we protect? Where do we find our value? Our confidence? How do we assess other people? That one challenged me when I was thinking about it early this morning. Yeah, so-and-so, he's a good guy. Very happy. Loves his wife, loves his kids. Now I think in my own heart, I go, oh man, he's doing great. He's crushing it in business. Wow, they just bought a new house. It's great, man. He's got a killer car. Where your treasure is, your heart will follow there. And that's the illustration that we see in verse 22 and 23. Now, this is a, what we would call an idiom. So it's an expression that we really don't use much anymore. Kind of have to understand it. Verse 22, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. So light is how we see, or excuse me, eyes are how we see light. It's how processes enter our minds where we know, okay, there is a podium in front of me. Okay, there is a ledge here. Hey, I shouldn't walk over to that ledge, that type of stuff. But if your eye is bad, Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the darkness, excuse me, if then the light in you is darkness, how great 
is the darkness. Now, this was, again, an idiom that they would use, and you can connect it to some different things. There's some different opinions about this, but I think this is the easiest one. Proverbs 28, 22 in the New American Standard says this, a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. So Kent Hughes said, the rabbi said that an evil eye indicated a grudging, cheap, ungenerous heart. Why? Because that's what the eyes were fixated on. So you want to know what your treasure is? That's where your heart will be. And is it temporal or is it eternal? Another challenge there is what are your eyes focused on? What are you dreaming about? What are you pursuing? What are you pushing for? I was thinking about uh, our, our youngest daughter. Of course, Christmas is coming up. And um, so I... I don't know why, maybe you like this or not, but I like getting the, the catalogs, like the Amazon catalogs, like toys. Because I just like to look through and see, like, I don't know, what, what's, what's popular these days. It's funny to watch things circle back, and then it's, you look at stuff, and you're like, this is the dumbest toy ever, which, you know, I'm sure I had dumb toys as well, you know. And uh, so you just look at that. So I get the, the catalog the other day, and I start flipping through it, and there are holes in the whole thing. Every page, I'm like, what was there? I don't even know what this was. Like, I don't even, there, there was a Lego set here. I don't know what Lego set that is. I had no idea where they went until yesterday. The Christmas list came out. <laughs> and all of those pictures are glued, taped, whatever it is to that, right? That's what she's thinking about. And I, you know, she's nine. She's allowed. But how many of us are the same way? That's all we can think about. That's all we're dreaming about. So our eyes are focused on there. That's where our treasure is. Look at verse 24. Jesus uses another illustration to see this. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Meaning you can't have, and in this context, it wouldn't have been employee, employer. This would have been a slave master. You couldn't have two owners. You cannot serve God and money. So what's Jesus saying? Where's your treasure? What are you drawn to? Your eyes? Because those things will eventually become your master. As a pastor, I sat with a lot of people at the end of their life. At this point, more than I can count. It's curious, but every person I've ever sat with, none of them have said to me, man, I wish I would have worked more. 
I've never had anybody laying in a hospice bed look around their house and go, man, this house is too small. We should have bought the bigger one. Because those moments bring immense perspective. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Some of you know the Lord. You're a follower of Jesus, and you wonder why your life is so unstable. And one of the reasons is, is because you, have, you are trying to pursue two masters. One's money and the things that it allows you to do, and one is the Lord. This comes down to who is the master of your life. Jesus, when he was calling some of his disciples, he was preaching. He says, if anyone will come after me, meaning if anyone will follow me, and let's make no mistake, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to be someone who follows Christ. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. First of all, is Jesus your master? We would say master is also the word Lord. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess through their mouth, Jesus as Lord. And believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That is the only genuine, real response to the good news of Jesus' death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. The response is, I turn from sin and Jesus is the boss and commander and Lord of my life. He's the master of my life. What does he become master over? Everything. He is the reward. Like he is the, the centerpiece of that eternal reward. But is he your master? Or is money your job, your stuff? I've heard preachers say before. Do you own your stuff or does your stuff own you? I like stuff, but it always breaks. Even when you're like, you know what? I'm not going to buy the junky one this time. I'm going to buy the good one. And it won't break. And then it breaks, and you're even more irritated. Because we get in our mind 
somehow, somehow we'll have the strategy, we'll be the exemption. Thieves won't get to our stuff. Mice won't get to our stuff. Moth, rust won't get to our stuff. We'll be good. And then you hit a deer. Let's pray together.